If, uh, if you have your Bibles with you this evening uh, and would like to turn to the text, this evening we're going to look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, this morning we were in a, a very familiar passage of Scripture, John 3, and uh, that section John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. This evening we looked, we're going two, two chapters earlier to chapter 1, and, and part of the reason for this, this is a great passage to think about in, in evenings when we have candle lighting services because it, it focuses our attention on, on the light of the world. So I'm going to read, uh, it's just a part of this, uh, the first five verses, jumped out of verse 14 and then verse 18. And my intention tonight is to take a, lot, a long time in the, in the message, but I did want to just prepare our hearts before we come uh, to the candle lighting service. Beginning in verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then as we jump down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if we jump down to verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the word of our God. May the Lord bless uh, the reading and the preaching. And of course, I pray that he would bless us as we hear and respond to his word tonight. You know, in a few moments, we're going to begin our, our candle lighting service, which is the focus of, of really our evening tonight and, and what probably draws so many of you here. Uh, this is a special time. It's a special time in, in the life of our church. It's a tradition of our church and a tradition that goes back. I didn't, I didn't begin this at, at Old Cutler. Um, when I was dating my wife in college, my wife grew up in this, in this church, and, 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 and this was some 40 years ago, or maybe even a little bit more than 40 years ago, I came to visit over Christmas. And... And uh, we came to church on Christmas Eve, and, and it was to a candle lighting service. It was the first one I'd ever gone to in my entire life, and, and I loved it. I loved it. It was special, and, and it's been a part of all the churches I've pastored. This is my third church, or the churches that I've pastored uh, since then. It's a, it is a special time, and I, I believe that for you. I mean, as I look out and I see everyone that's here, this big crowd, uh, this, is, this is a part of probably many uh, people here, your tradition, your Christmas tradition. Uh, I see so many visitors and so many guests here. I'm so thankful for you to be here. And this moment, it means something to you. In, in fact, I would probably say it is true that for, for some of you, uh, this is a part of, and there may be other things as well, but this is a part of what makes Christmas really feel like Christmas, right? But the thing about this is, is we, 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 we need to understand what it is, right? We need to understand what it means. It's, it's, it's not just the beauty of it and the opportunity to be together with so many people and to see the lights come down and sing Silent Night and, the, and our, our candles all lit. That is a beautiful moment, and we're going to see that all together in just a few moments. But what does it really mean? And, you know, the, this Advent wreath that is in front of you, it has these, uh, these five candles, and, and each of them reflect a, a, a reality of the Christmas story of, of faith and, and hope and joy and peace. And, but it's that candle in the middle, the largest candle, the candle that stands out, the white candle that speaks to, to Christ. It is the Christ candle. It is the candle from which I will light my candle and, and then extend that out. We all light our candles really from that that Christ's candle. 
And it reminds us of something that I think is important, and I hope all of you know this Christmas, is that we are not just here for the ritual. We're here for what the ritual actually teaches us, what it speaks to us about, and that is Jesus. And there's, there's really, I mean, when you talk about a text to help us to think about Jesus in relationship to this, I think John 1 is it. Because what, what John does here in, in these verses that we're going to spend a few moments looking at is he reminds us of, of two things. He reminds us of who Jesus is, and he reminds us of why Jesus came. And when we come to, to Christmas, these are things that I hope everyone in this room leaves knowing who Jesus is and why Jesus came. So the first, again, is, is who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas? And people have all kinds of ideas about it. Many of you may have a lot of ideas about this, this Jesus. People think he was, a, he, was a, he was a great teacher. He was a moral leader. He was a religious revolutionary. He was a Jewish prophet. Uh, some, and even some other religions, will think that he was a, a God, little g God, a God. But none of these ways of thinking about Jesus are adequate to, to who he is or adequate to what the Bible says in talking about him and certainly adequate to what John says in this text. Because what John does in this particular passage is he identifies the Jesus that he goes on through the gospel to declare, to speak of, all through this gospel. He identifies him connected to the word and to creation itself, to the word and creation. Now, by doing that, he's helping us to understand that he's so much more than any man. He's so much more. He's so much more than just being a moral man or a good teacher, a religious leader. He's more. He was there at creation. You know, one of the things that John does, and it's intentional, is John begins, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning. And that is the exact way that the, book, the first book of the Bible begins, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning. He's making a connection. He's linking him to the beginning. He's linking him to creation. Now, if you remember the creation account, one of the things that you'll understand about it is that God brought all that is into existence, all that exists by speaking it. He spoke creation into existence. And this is why we see repeatedly over and over again in Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God said. And what John is saying is that that active, powerful, creative word is Jesus. And so then if you look at the text in verse 3, note what it says again. All things, all things were made through him, through him. And without him was not anything made that was made, all things. There's nothing in all of creation that is here without this one that we're talking about, that we're celebrating this Christmas without him doing it. Now, this takes us beyond just mere man, mere mortal. It takes us beyond that. And it, it, it helps us to begin to understand that what John wants all of us to know, that this baby, he is God. He is the son of God. And he says as much in the first two verses when he makes the statement, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know what it says, in the beginning was the word. And remember that, remember that he's talking about the logos here, which is Jesus. This is who he identifies. This Jesus is the word. He was, he was in the beginning. He had no beginning. He is eternal. 
Now, we understand Jesus' human nature, which we'll talk about more in a moment, as, 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 as having time to it. He was, he was born in the flesh. But the God-man, the one that we, we talk about tonight, the one that we celebrate at Christmas, is this, this eternal preexistence. Why? Because of who he is. As the text says, in the beginning was the word, but then it goes on to say, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Before there was anything made, he was with God. Now, what that language actually does is it makes a distinction between the Word and, and God the Father, right? And this is something we understand. If you, if, you, if you know anything about the Trinity and the classical understanding of the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Spirit is God. But here's what also is true. The Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, the Spirit's not the Son, right? That there's a distinction. But the Father and the Son and the Spirit are God. And it's explicitly stated when it goes on to say at the end of this, and the word was God. He was and he is God, eternally God. This is who we worship this Christmas, the word of God, the son of God. You know, C.S. Lewis was an, a British author, and he wrote a lot of books. One of his books that really is wonderful. And if you are at all interested in considering and thinking about Christianity more, I'd encourage you to read it. It's called Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, he, he challenges in that, in that book, he challenges the person who would say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And this is what Lewis says in response. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can follow his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He hasn't. There is a clear choice. Who is he? And John would say, we see it again, second part of verse one, the word was God. Now that leads into the second thing, which, which really is, is the reason sort of we, that we celebrate this time, which deals with why he came. This is, this is what Christmas is, is really about. It is, it is the Son of God. It is God and, and God coming to us. And John speaks of that. He, he speaks of this idea of, of, of God taking on flesh. Note again in verse 14 where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Became flesh. He took on flesh without surrendering and giving up his deity. The God-man, fully God, fully man. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, becomes man. And what the text says is he dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. And that's interesting, that, that phraseology, dwelt among us. It's, it's literally can be translated this way, that he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent. Now, that's, that's pretty cool. It kind of sounds a little bit like he decided to go camping with us, but it's more than that. It's a whole lot more than that. For those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament and familiar with what, what the way God met with his people, 
You may remember this, this tabernacle, which is basically a tent. And what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament was a, a movable sanctuary. That's what it was. God told them to design it, how to design it. They put it down, they take it up, and it would move with them. When they wandered through the wilderness, they would take that. Because in every place they took it, God would come and he would pitch his tent with it. Now, here's what I want you to think about considering the reality of the Old Testament and the tabernacle and the temple and how God would meet with his people there. And then what we see in the in advancement and the movement that we see in the New Testament and the glory of what John is talking about, because what he's basically saying now is that he has pitched his tent in a person, in a man, in someone that you can look at and see that God is with us in Jesus, in Jesus. And that is an extraordinary thing to think about, that God would love us in that way, that he would become that intimate to his creation, that intimate to you and me, that we could look at him, we could see him, we could hear him, we could touch him. That's Emmanuel, God with us. And what this text continues to talk about is how God being with us is for a reason. It's, it had a purpose and a very important purpose. And one of those purposes that the text clearly indicates is that he came into flesh to reveal God to us. You know, a lot of times we, we, we struggle with, well, how do I, how do I know God? And how, how can I find God? And then there are those of us who seem to think that we can, we can somehow do this. We can climb our way up to God. And the, the truth of the matter is we can't. We can't. And the reason we can't is because we, we're blinded by the reality of sin so that we, we can look at all of creation. And Scripture reminds us, Romans 1 reminds us, that everything in all of creation has the fingerprint of God on it. And the reason for that, going back to what John 1, Genesis 1 says, is because God made it all. So that everything says God is. This is the true God. And we look at it and we deny. We look at it and we reject. We look at it and we become atheists. We look at it and we become agnostics. We look at it and we follow false gods. We can't find our way there. And that's why God had to come to us. You don't go up to him. He comes to you. And he reveals himself to you. And he does it in both the written and the living word. And this is what verse 18 is really all about, where it says, no one has ever seen God. God is spirit. No one has ever seen him. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. God has come in the flesh to make the one true God no. So if you're sitting here tonight and you go, well, I don't, I don't know God. I don't know how to find God. How do I do that? What I'm telling you tonight is very simple and very easy. Just look to Jesus. Just look at him. Look at him. Focus your attention on him. Because he is that. He is the manifestation of the reality of God. So that earlier in the second part of verse 14, note what it says, and, and we have seen his glory, right? Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
that we, we've seen it. We've seen it in him. We've seen his glory. We've seen the, the reality of grace and truth in him. Uh, this reminds me of a verse from Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance, talking about Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. It said he radiates the very glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. All that God is, you can see it in this beautiful man that came to earth. So he reveals God. But one other thing that I want you to see that John does here that is also important, he also does the work of God. And this is what we see if you look back at verse four. Again, it says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So let's pause there for a second. In him, Jesus, the word, was life. And that life was light. So life and light. Those two words are important words, life and light. And they actually serve as, as, as uh, the, the opposites or the anonyms of the, the, the reality that all of us live in in this world. I mean, think about it. What's the opposite of life? Death. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. What is this world? In itself, it is a world of death and darkness. And we all know it. We all know it. You can't run away from this. You can't escape it. You can't avoid it. You can't close your eyes and pretend. Death is all around us. It always is. Right? Every funeral you go to, it keeps saying it. This is it. Death. Death is separation. That's what it is. It's separation. It's, it's the separation of the of, of the, the soul from the body, but then when you start thinking about what that means spiritually, it's a, it's a separation of, of us, of our souls from God. And, and, and it's an eternal separation ultimately if we don't turn to him. That's what death is. It's separation. It's separating us from what we are intended to be. And darkness is the, it's the manifestation of the lie, of evil, of sin, of corruption, of oppression, and no matter how often with the world and the secular ideas of Christmas, we want to think that there's this magic to Christmas that somehow prevents us from being at least on that day, we still know that's a lie. Because even though the news media on Christmas Day may not put all the bad things that are happening in the world like they do every other day, you know it's still there. And you know it's still happening. The only answer to those two things, to death, and to darkness is life and light. And that's who Jesus is. He is life. He is life. He is spiritual life, eternal life, and, and ultimately, ultimately resurrection life, physical life. He's life in the midst of death. He is light in the midst of darkness. And wait, the, what verse five says is really intriguing because it goes on to say that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, the light shining in the Greek, that's a, it's, it's present tense, which means it, it, it shines and it keeps on shining. The darkness has not overcome it. That's past or eris. It's, it's, it's basically that this, this darkness has not overcome it. What this is speaking of is how the light, no matter what, it is, it is and it will be victorious. That's what it's saying. 
The light cannot overcome it. The light cannot stop it. And, and we know that's the way light works. This is part of what we're going to be doing. So when we, we light our candles and we start moving around the room, the lights in the room are going to go out. And when the lights in the room go out, you just sort of see what happens, how, how these lights and all of our candles, it pushes back darkness. When I was in college, I, I, um, one of my most memorable worst experiences was going caving. And it, it was terrible. I would tell you, don't do it. Unless you are a cave-loving person, go for it. But, I mean, we just kept going, 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 and we were so far down that, I mean, literally, it's the only time in my entire life, and I've lived in small places where you can look up and see all the stars. This is the only place that, that I've ever been that had no light. It was so dark that the creatures down there didn't have eyes, right? And I'll never forget this. The guide gets us down there, and he has us all turn our helmet lights off, and he just takes a little match and he lights it. And you know what it did? It expelled. Doesn't it the way it works? It pushes away darkness. Okay? It pushes away darkness. The light has not overcome it, and it cannot. Even when the darkness thought it won. The greatest evil, and there's been a lot of evil in our world, but the greatest evil the world has ever known is when the evil one working in the hearts of wicked men put the innocent Savior on a cross and declared victory won. But in that very act, it became the means by which God satisfied justice by taking our sin. Even when the darkness thinks it wins, the light is unconquerable. And I want it to be unconquerable in your hearts. You know, today, this morning, we looked at John 3.19, and we talked about how this light comes into the world. And that some of us do this. Some of us choose the darkness. We choose it because our works are evil. We prefer the darkness. We love the darkness. We want to live in the darkness. But I want to remind all of us this evening that um, that's no victory. It is loss. And it will face condemnation. The light is for you. When we come now, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come to the candles. We start passing these candles, the light around, lighting each other's candles. You know, for, for some of us, if you would prefer this, this could be just a wonderful ritual and a beautiful time. But what I hope it becomes for all of us is a reflection of a reality in our own hearts and lives. That the powerful, wondrous, victorious light of Christ has shown in you, in you, that you have received the light. And then this becomes this beautiful reflection of what you possess. And that's what I hope for all of us. Amen. In John